Good evening. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. So glad to see you guys and everyone who is listening in through our radio broadcast. And we are recording in this service, so our podcast goes out all over the world. Our YouTube video goes uh, all over the world. Had a little bit of a technical difficulty in the morning service, so we're recording it here. Let's give it up for the hardest working 10-year-old drummer in the church business, Elijah. (laughs) Good job, man. It's so much fun. I have a good time watching him. I am thankful for this day, for the beautiful sunshine. Um, thankful for the prayers for my wife. Please be praying for her. She has surgery on Tuesday. Pretty major, major surgery. Her name is Katie. If you want to lift her up in prayer, please. Sweet girl, been through a lot. And uh, we really, really need your prayers. So, uh, Pray that uh, the surgery will go well, the recovery time will go well, and and uh, appreciate your prayers for me and the kids as we seek to be supportive to her. Something that I want to tell you is something you don't often hear. You don't hear it nearly enough, and here it is. You matter. You are made to be something, made to be a part of something bigger You are a part of the bigger story God is telling. God doesn't want to do this thing without you. You aren't just some cosmic accident. You aren't just some lucky genetic combo that someone ordered off the dollar menu of the universe. You are an amazing creation of an almighty God. I don't mean to make you blush or anything. But the scriptures say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If anybody is close enough to hear you say it, you just look at them. Or if if nobody's with you, you just look in the rearview mirror and you say it to yourself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wish my wife could be here at this service. She is quarantining today prior to her surgery. Because I would just love to look right in her beautiful brown eyes and say, sweetheart, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All right, use that. You know, um, Grace, when you see Nick, use that on, use that on him, all right? To say, Nick, Nick Dowdy, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> this is true. How true it is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, yet there is a paradox. Even though God has made us a part of the story and he doesn't want to tell the story without us, The story is not about us. The story God's telling is not about you. It's not about me. It is bigger than any of that. And if it's not about us, we can't just think about ourselves. We have to think about how we fit into this bigger thing God is doing and and how we affect other people. Your life touches the lives of people around you. Some of them on a daily basis, if they're you know close to you or live in the same house as you, work with you. Some of them are just here and there, but your life touches other people. After the last year and a half, we almost have to relearn how to be around people again, you know, cooped up, quarantine, pandemic, all of that. We have to, to learn how to, how to be people again. And there's some part of me that's like, do I really want to be around people that much again, because in my heart of hearts, I'm, 
I should probably be more of a people person than I am because you're thinking, boy, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be a people person. What y'all don't understand is I use up all my people skills with y'all, all right? On Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, that's when I just use up all my ability to, to function in society. And then the rest of the time, I'm not so good at it. Um, God bless my children who have to go home with me and, and put up with me for the rest of the time after I've used up all my ability to be social and function. So we've kind of been stuck in a bubble for the last year and a half, and we have been asked not to socialize as much, to not interact as much. And uh, we could argue whether or not that period of isolation is something that's good or bad or necessary or unnecessary, but this much is true, it takes a toll. Being isolated takes a toll on a person. We, we kind of have to learn how to be social again, you know, how to, how to be a community again, because we live in a world full of imperfect people, and as imperfect people encounter one another, you're going to have to have a lot of grace, you know what I like? Let's, let's talk about something else for a minute. You know what I like? You know what I just love? I love bacon. Anybody else love bacon? What do you think? Ah, oh, he's, he's all about the bills about the bacon. I love bacon. Love it so much. And I love people who don't love bacon. Do you know why? Because they leave more bacon for me. So I appreciate them. I love them for that. That's awesome. But you know what I love even more than bacon? I love freedom. Love freedom. Love having freedom. Freedom to, you know, express myself. Freedom to march to the beat of this own little drum I got going from the time I showed up in kindergarten. Uh, I figured out I was kind of the weird kid, and, and I was a little different than the other kids. I'm glad I'm free to be me, and it's okay. For the first time in ministry, I've been in ministry for a long time, and for the first time, I can be myself as it comes to recreate church because sort of my way of doing things, my way of preaching um, wouldn't necessarily fit in nice and neat to uh, like a, a more conventional church setting. So I'm very, very thankful to have this opportunity to be a part of recreate church and do something different, do something uh, that can be me. I can express that freedom to be myself. But of course, as I express my freedom I have to keep in mind that I affect other people. I can't just do whatever I want whenever I want to do it because, first of all, I have to think about, well, what does God want? And I have to think about how this is going to affect the people around me because some things aren't necessarily wrong, but they would not affect the people around you like they should. So somebody's going to say, wait a minute, is this a message about wearing masks and getting vaccinated and all that. No, no, that's, that's not what the message is about, okay. I'm talking about bigger things because the, the mask conversation is winding down now, all right? The CDC has lifted the regulations and all of that. I keep mine with me all the time. I wear mine when I go in stores. I wear mine most of the time um, because, well, because of my wife's health. I've already got my vaccines and all that, got both shots. I'm good to go. But because my wife's health is is kind of questionable. I'll still wear my mask everywhere, and we got that surgery coming up. Pray for that surgery on Tuesday. I'm just not taking any, any risks at all. So I'm not really talking about that. The conversation about 
you know, mask wearing and all that, that is winding down. However, the conversation about how our lives affect other people, that's going to be with us forever. So I want to talk to the Jesus people right now. If you're with us, if you're listening and, and you would not identify yourself as a Christian or anything, I think I know that guy. I think he was blowing a shofar. If that's you, man, thanks. That was a, a supporting horn blowing in the background. Anyway, I don't know if that'll come through on the podcast or just sound like I'm making stuff up, but I swear it happened. Somebody drove by our parking lot blowing a shofar. Only here. You can only get that at Recreate Church. You just can't get that anywhere else. <laughs> anyway, completely lost my train of thought, continuing on seeing if I can reboard the train. So I'm talking to the Jesus people right now, the Jesus people in the parking lot, the Jesus people listening in. If you are, if you would not identify as a Jesus person, you're off the hook for a moment. I'm talking about the church people right now. Here's what I want to say to you. I want you to remember if you identify as a Christian, you have such an opportunity to influence people in a powerful way. Do not underestimate your ability to influence the spiritual journey of another person. Nearly everybody who finds new life in Jesus, who um, finds hope and peace in Jesus, finds forgiveness in Jesus, in other words, the term we use sometimes is saved, nearly everybody who is saved tells the story of some Jesus people who were a powerful influence in them becoming believers. Now, I look back in my story and I, I saw the change in the lives of my mom and dad when they became Christians. I had some awesome Sunday school teachers when I was just starting to church, and they had a big influence on me making the decision to follow Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower, you can probably think of some people in your life who had a big spiritual influence on you. The bottom line is, you can influence people to move in the direction of Jesus. You can have a big spiritual impact on the folks around you in a positive way. Of course, the opposite is also true, that nearly everybody who walks away from faith, who walks away from church, tells the story of some, some church people who were hurtful. Now, you've heard it said that, that people don't quit jobs, they quit bad managers. You heard that? There's some truth to that. I've seen in ministry that people don't really quit church so much as they quit church people. It's not Christ that people are so ready to quit. It's, some, it's Christians who don't know how to love. I know that sounds pretty tough, but I, I've been doing this pastor thing a long time, so I said it. I don't regret it. I've seen it play out many, many times of uh, folks who were, were, had church hurt. It's a real thing. It happens all the time. I've been there. I've done that. So we need to remember that God has called us to build something different. We're seeking to build something different with Recreate Church. That's a huge part of what we are and, and what we do is, is let people know that no matter your story, you're welcome, you're wanted, and you're loved. Even if you've messed it up, even if you're making choices that are not, you know, not what the Lord would have you to make, we still want you around. We still want you to be a part of what we're doing. If anyone is looking for someone to say, hey, everything you're doing is okay. We can't offer that. I can't look at my life and put the stamp of approval on everything that I do and say. But we want you to know that we're ready to walk with you through the middle 
of the worst messes and out on the other side. Our motto is, I just said it, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you're loved. And, and we mean that. So today's message is titled, Don't Trip. Don't Trip. All right. That has a couple of meanings. Don't trip as in, don't cause other people to trip up in their spiritual journey. Don't trip up other people in their spiritual journey. Don't trip. Don't trip others. But because, because I'm so familiar with youth culture slang, you can just tell by looking at me that I'm young and hip, right? Do I look young and hip to you, Katie? No? Okay, yeah. My kids tell me, don't try to be cool, Dad. You're not cool. Don't try to be cool. Don't try to be hip. All right, here is my, I'm going to break there the rule just a little bit. I'm going to not really try to be hip, but I'm going to seize on that. Don't trip can also mean, insane can also mean, don't get upset. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't go off on somebody. Don't trip, especially over something that is not that important, not that big of a deal. Don't make a big deal out of something that's not really a big deal. So the apostle Paul is going to talk about that in Romans chapter 14, more or less saying that the people in Rome, the believers in Rome, said, hey, man, don't trip. Don't get upset over things that God's not really upset over. Don't get upset over things that are matters of, a, of opinion or preference. Don't trip over those things, and don't trip up other people on their way to Jesus. Don't trip. So in Romans 14, we're going to be pulling some, some truth throughout the first half of that chapter, but Our starting point and the pivot point is verse 7, and it goes like this. Romans 14, 7 reads like this, and I'll, I'll pray for us after that. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. I'll repeat that. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you'd speak to us through your word and show us that we have the power to influence people's lives in such a positive way. And may we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. That's a powerful statement. We live in a world that is all about self, that is self-obsessed. And I'm not just talking about Instagram and people wanting everyone to like and to share and all of that. I'm not talking about being an Instagram influencer. I don't think I'll ever be able to manage that. I'm talking about this whole crazy me first mentality. We saw that demonstrated in the last few weeks, haven't we? The word came out that there was going to be a gas shortage. What is the first thing lots of people went and did? Filled up everything they got with gas. Now, I understand filling up some gas cans. That makes sense. But, man, I saw some pictures of people who had filled up, like, trash bags and stuff. What kind of a fireball is going to happen when you wreck with a trunk full of trash bags full of gas? I don't even know what to say about that. That's crazy. That's crazy. And and it's also not exactly considerate of the other people who need gas. The gas station is running out of gas, and and I'm not really thinking about one another. Um, being a little bit self-first. So, uh, and we don't really need to be reminded about last year and all the things you couldn't find in the store. Last year, ran out of toilet paper. Where was all the toilet paper? Now, I did a head count of everybody in the United States. 
And there was about as many rear ends as there was before. So I don't know why everybody needed more toilet paper than normal. Maybe it's because I grew up in Dugspur with an outhouse. Maybe I... Maybe it's not as, you know, as big as a necessity to me because I grew up roughing it pretty good. Um, that, it, you know, I can think of a way to make that work, even if we couldn't get any. Anyway, it's sort of an example of the, of the self-centeredness of our culture. Jesus has called us to such a different life. The life of a Jesus follower is not supposed to be about the self. We don't live for ourselves. We live for God. In the very next verse, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or we die, we do it for the Lord. We belong to the Lord. That's what it's about. It's not about us. Interesting, though, when he goes to apply this, when he says, hey, we live for the Lord, he, he applies it to our interactions with people. Well, that's a little weird. I thought we live for the Lord, not for people. So what does it mean? Well, it turns out you can't really live for the Lord without it influencing the way you interact with people. I'm going to say this. This is powerfully true. How you treat people says more about your spiritual life than any claim you make about your spiritual life. I just bet you've met some people who could talk a big talk about religion, but whatever religion they have doesn't seem to be helping them treat people the way they ought to treat people. Let me be plain, though. Treating people right doesn't make you righteous in the eyes of God, but if you have the righteousness of Christ in you, you better be treating people right. It should change the way you treat people. There's some parts of the Christian life you just can't live out by yourself. <laughs> I have often thought that I could be a really good Christian if only I didn't have to put up with people. Can I get a witness? The, the, the people around you make it a little harder to be a Christian sometimes. I'd say, Lord, if I could just live in the woods by myself, just me and just me and the Holy Spirit, I could be a real good Christian if I didn't have to put up with people. But how are you going to live out the life that Jesus called you to without being around people? Jesus talks about being loving and forgiving and patient and generous and kind. And in order to exercise these things that Jesus has told us to do, we are going to have to be around people. And in order to be forgiving, that means you're going to have to be close enough to somebody to have something to forgive them Four, we have to be around people. We, how we treat people is a big deal. The message is about don't trip people up by the way you treat them, by the way you interact with them. In Romans 14, Paul says, uh, he starts out by telling us in verse 1, when it comes to interacting with people, don't get caught up in what he calls um, disputes about doubtful things. Some translations just say don't argue over opinions. This is not talking about having differences of theology or basic beliefs. It's talking, he says don't, don't let opinions and positions trip you up. 
don't make a big deal out of something that God does not make a big deal out of. And he specifically mentions two of the hot-button issues of his day. These are the things that church people wanted to argue about in that day. And when I tell them to you, they're going to sound funny, all right? Or they're going to not sound like a big deal. The first one was about the eating of meat. And it, it wasn't like... You know, the, the vegan movement today say, hey, don't eat meat for moral reasons. This was, this was something that was really a practical thing in this day because in cities like Rome in the ancient world, there were lots of pagan temples, right? And at these pagan temples of the Roman gods, people would bring animals for sacrifice. I know that doesn't sound very nice. Sweet little animals, why are they doing that? As they would bring these animals for sacrifice, only part of the animal, part of the meat, was used in the ceremony. The rest of the meat was there, and these temples would sell it. They had all this extra meat to sell, so they would sell it off either directly out of the backside of the temple. Imagine that, going down to the temple of Zeus and buying a steak. That would be weird. That just doesn't make sense, but that's what happened. Or they would sell it to a wholesaler, and they would sell it. So, so really, if you were in a city like Rome, and you went down to the store, and you bought some hamburger, you couldn't be sure that it wasn't from a pagan temple. Even if it wasn't labeled that way, if it was labeled at all, you couldn't be sure that it didn't originate in a pagan temple. Now, for these people in Rome who had become believers in Jesus, and they used to be part of that old pagan system, a lot of them, it really bothered their conscience because it reminded them of the life they had left behind. They didn't want to be associated with the pagan temples anymore. They didn't want to eat this meat that came from the pagan temple, so they, they decided they just, they just would not risk it. They wouldn't eat meat at all. They would not risk it for the brisket. Nobody's going to go for my joke, wouldn't risk it for the brisket. Okay, there's, well, thank you. Thank you, Grace. God bless you. Okay. I love some brisket. That's good. I might risk it for the brisket, but they decided they would not risk it for the brisket. They, instead of uh, eating meat and risking the idea that it might have come from a pagan temple, they just decided they would not eat meat at all, and they went vegetarian. Then there was another group of people of the believers in Rome who, who said, wait a minute, these pagan gods, they're not really gods at all. What's the big deal if the meat came from the pagan temple? Because the Roman gods aren't real gods. And if I got a good deal on some ribeye, man, there ain't nothing wrong with that. that. That saves me some money. That's a good deal. What, what's the problem with eating meat? Well, as you can imagine, these two groups of people were kind of judgy towards each other. The people who decided they would not eat meat were judgy towards those who thought it was no big deal. And the people who thought it was no big deal to get a, get a deal on some top sirloin, well, they were pretty judgy towards the people who wouldn't eat the meat. So the Apostle Paul's trying to referee this argument between these people. And you know what he says? He says, it's not actually a big deal, you guys. Not really a big deal. Whether you decide to eat it or you decide not to, it does not make you more or less spiritual. It is a matter of preference. It is a matter of opinion. If you don't want to risk it, that's fine. If, you, if it doesn't bother your conscience, that's fine. You just need to pray over it and get settled with it and feel good about it, and it would be all right. No big deal. You are tripping over something that does not really matter. It was in 
important to them, but it wasn't worth tripping over and it wasn't worth tripping people up in their spiritual walk over. So he gave another example. Some of the people, especially the, those who grew up in a Jewish family, they wanted, they felt like you should still keep the Jewish holy days and the Jewish ceremonies. That's what they felt was necessary. Now, and in their defense, the, the, first, the Jesus movement originated in the Jewish community, so they kind of have a point that, hey, we should keep up these Jewish traditions. I see where they're coming from. Then there were other people who didn't come out of that background who were like, man, why do I have to become Jewish before I can become a follower of Jesus? That doesn't make sense. Why are we... Why are we expected to keep these ceremonies and these holidays that don't mean anything to us when we're following Jesus? So what was the answer? Again, Paul said, it doesn't really matter, y'all. If you feel convicted that you should keep the Jewish holy days and keep the Jewish ceremonies, that's fine. That's fine. That's no big deal. But if someone else didn't grow up that way, they don't have to, and it's no big deal. It doesn't make you more spiritual or less spiritual. Either way, it's a matter of preference, matter of opinion. So you, he said no one lives to himself, no one dies to himself. In other words, don't trip. Don't trip over this. It's not a big deal. So don't be tripping. Don't be tripping yourself up over it. Don't be tripping others over it. It's just one of these times where people will come to different opinions, and that's fine. Now, we look at this today, and it, it kind of sounds funny what they're arguing over, right? I mean, eating meat or not eating meat, celebrating some holidays or not celebrating some holidays, is it really a big deal? We look at that and say, why, why would they trip up over that? Why would they be tripping over that? Well, we look at that and say, why are they tripping over that? Because we have come up with other things to trip over. We've come up with our own things to make a big deal out of when God doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's not been that long ago, only a few generations ago, that some church folks put a huge emphasis on having the right haircut and the right clothes. And if you didn't have the right haircut, and if you didn't have the right clothes, you could not possibly be spiritual or righteous. Now, I'm looking at my chucks today and my jeans, and I'm thinking this would not have flown in the church I grew up in. I love those people. I think it would probably be okay now, but when I was a kid, that would not have worked. They would not have been spiritual enough. Now, we think about that now, and it's like, man... Why was that a big deal? You kind of go back a little bit farther than that, and people were all torn up about, about dancing and playing cards and watching movies because you could not be a good believer if you watch movies. Now, I'm not talking about bad movies. I'm just talking about any movies at all. You know, like, Don't watch them. They're moving pictures. They're of the devil. <laughs> and it's not talking about playing cards like gambling. You playing go fish with your children? You shouldn't do that. That'll get them hooked. No, it's probably not a big deal. It's really not a big deal. And as far as dancing goes, you know, there is dancing in the Bible. King David danced before the Lord, and he was, he was totally getting jiggy with it, y'all. He was not holding back. It was awesome. Um, now, okay, I'll just confession time. 
Nobody has to tell me that I shouldn't dance. I grew up Baptist, y'all. I already don't dance. You don't have to tell me, hey, don't dance. I'm already not dancing. Okay? I just, I'm not a dancer. It's not in me. But uh, I don't know why dancing was not spiritual because David danced before the Lord. They probably had in mind some other dances that were not so spiritual. Okay, but as a principle. Um, these things don't sound like a big deal to us right now or less of a big deal. But that was a really big deal only a few generations ago. However, I'm thinking, man, are you telling me you're going to trip people up who are coming to Jesus because their haircut is not churchy enough? That doesn't make any sense to me. Who cares what your haircut is? Who cares what your clothes are? Get to Jesus. Some of you all are pretty new to recreate, and maybe you haven't heard our dress code our dress code is very simple. It's two words. Wear clothes. Okay? And we take that one very serious, however. If you don't obey that two-word dress clo- code, wear clothes, that is going to be a problem. Okay? If you don't have any clothes to wear, we'll hook you up. You know, we got some recreate t-shirts and stuff. We'll fix you up. I don't really care what you're wearing as, as long as it's not some huge distraction. You know, probably show up wearing a tuxedo. That'll be a distraction. If you show up wearing a bathing suit, that'll be a distraction. Kind of keep it somewhere in between there. Wear clothes. It doesn't matter that much, okay, as long as it's not a big distraction for what we're doing. Stuff still happens, though. You know, what we're talking about, the clothes thing, the hair thing, and the, all of that, that's not as big a deal as it once was. It once was a huge big deal, but there are still times when church people interact with others in a way that, that sends the wrong message and puts an emphasis on the wrong things. It, has anybody here worked like in retail or in a restaurant? A lot of people who have worked in retail or in a restaurant still to this day will tell you the day you don't want to work is Sunday, not just because you want Sunday off to be with the Lord and be with your family, but because a lot of times the church people come in and they're acting kind of entitled and they're tripping over stuff that doesn't matter. When I met my wife, she was working as a waitress. I did not meet her while she was waitressing. I didn't know she was a waitress, but let me tell you this. When you fall in love with a waitress, as I did, you learn to be very good to the wait staff. So I have always tipped very well, even if the service is not good, because I know my wife is watching me, and she's going to, uh, well, I'm going to say, I won't want to say my wife is judging me, but she's paying attention to what the tip is. Because she wants, you know, she wants me to be extra good to to wait staff. But believe it or not, there's some Jesus people who go into places like a like a store and are are kind of rude and difficult to waiters and to the people at the checkout and people in the store. That doesn't make sense to me. Sending the wrong message. Some folks uh, would say, "Wait a minute, what if uh, what if they were what if I didn't get good service?" Okay, maybe you didn't. Does that really matter? I don't care if you get good service or not. It doesn't matter. Well, what if they were rude to me? Okay, I hear you. If they're rude to you, don't let that make you rude. What? Wait a minute. What if? What if they're not? 
What if they're not representing the business well? Okay, I hear you. Maybe they're not. But just because someone else is not representing a business well does not mean we should stop representing Christ well. We should always represent Christ. Wherever you go, you represent Christ. I would say this. If you do get a Recreate t-shirt, and you are, better hope you're not wearing it if you're ever rude to somebody in a store, because I'll hear about it, okay? That's one of my major rules. Don't be rude to anybody in a store while you're wearing a Recreate t-shirt or a Recreate hoodie. That's a big old rule of mine. We're just not going to do it, y'all. We are just not going to be rude to people, no matter even if you get the worst waiter in the history of waiters. You telling me you're going to get all tore up and all tripping because somebody making a few dollars an hour plus tips forgot to bring you your ranch dressing? Come on. That's not what we are about. Because the interactions that people have with you influence them. They influence. You influence people with your life. Every life touches other lives. Even if you're just in a store, even if you're just in a restaurant, your life touches their lives. How you treat people matters. How the service you're getting is not that important, but the interaction you have might have have consequences that span eternity. Because get, get this. It's not good for your spiritual life to, to be tripping, and it's not good for them either. I, okay, I got a way I can put this, but it's not going to sound very churchy, all right? It ain't going to sound very churchy what I'm about to say. It's not a bad word or anything, but just w- w- upfront warning, okay? <laughs> it's not going to sound very churchy, and it probably proved to you why, why a conventional church setting is probably not the place for me. But I'm going to put it this way, and you're going to remember it. Here it goes. Here it goes. If you are a but to people, it's bad for your spiritual life. How's that? If you're a but to people, it's bad for your spiritual life. And if you're a but to people, it's bad for their spiritual life. Because if they know that you're a follower of Jesus and you are rude to them or tough on them or a but to them, why would they want to be a follower of Jesus too? So moral of the story, don't be a but. Or maybe, as Jesus put it, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That sounds a lot better, right? Okay, you'll just remember this is the day the preacher used the word but multiple times in the message. But I think it works. I think it works. So I know even if they're rude, don't be a but. Even if you're provoked, don't be a but. Okay, there is something I do need to bring up. This is important. What if in the church family there is someone who's who's really making some bad decisions. You know, what if, what if somebody is getting off into sin? And that is a reasonable question because the Scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even after you are saved, it doesn't mean you don't ever sin again. I was saved as a pretty young fella, so most of the dumb, foolish, sinful things I've done in my life were after I should have known better. It's going to happen. The question is, how... Do we handle it when somebody we care about is sinning? Because you can, your approach to dealing with that can either draw them back to Jesus or drive them away from Jesus. And I have seen it done both ways. I have seen people who've really made a wreck of their lives and the, the, the tender 
merciful way that Christian people dealt with them, helped them to see that they were loved and God loved them, and, and they, they you know, helped them get out of that mess and make better choices. I've seen that happen. But what I have seen very often is people who, well, they made bad choices. They made sinful choices. They did things they shouldn't have done and made a real mess. But instead of finding compassion and restoration, what they got was harshness and rejection and condemnation. And that is heartbreaking. Because our goal is, our goal is to restore people, to help them make good choices. And we need to remember that because we're going to need that, folks. We are going to need someone to help restore us, to help lift us up, because sometimes we're going to make bad decisions too. Here's a good principle. If, if you wreck your life, we want to help you unwreck it. How about that? And if I wreck my life, I hope you'll help me unwreck it too. We're going to need that for each other. There's a lot of doubtful things that that we can trip up over a lot of times in the context of a church family. We can, can make a big deal out of stuff that God doesn't make a big deal of. And if I was not faith, if I don't mention this last one, I'm going to be unfaithful to my calling and I understand it's a little dangerous. So this one's a little tough. Are you ready for this? You might want to take a deep breath. Okay. All right. Take a deep breath. Cause I know I'm crazy to even bring it up. Um, Hopefully we'll all still love each other after this is over. Are you ready for this? Because I don't feel very ready, but it's time for me to say it. Here we go. Sometimes church people can get so sucked into secular politics that it trips them up and trips other people up in their faith. It's true. I know I'm crazy for bringing it up. And trust me when I say... I don't want to offend you guys, but I'm a lot more afraid of offending God. And I'm pretty sure he wants me to talk about this. Because we live in a climate where people elevate politics to a, a place that is unhealthy. Folks on both sides, all sides, elevate it to a place that's unhealthy. So, so hear me out. Don't trip just yet. Hear me out. You can have your political opinion. You should have a political opinion. And you can even believe that your political opinion is the one that most closely aligns with the Word of God. You should be comparing your thoughts to the Word of God. You should be. However, just don't mix up your political opinion with the gospel. As soon as we start believing that if everyone would just agree with our political opinions, then everything in the world would be straightened out, then we're kind of running dangerously, dangerously close to treating our politics like a religion. And let's just be honest, in the United States of America, the religion of America is politics. People treat politics just like it is life and death, heaven and hell, like it is a religion. There's a problem with that. As important as all that is, and it is important, it's, Im it's important to have the right people leading a local area or leading a nation. It's important to have the right laws in place. Those things do matter. But it can never get in the way of the gospel. 
The gospel can do things that politics never can. Politics never got anybody into heaven. Politics never made any heart right. It never did. Only Jesus can do that. Only the gospel can do that. So while these other things are important, they are. We must not let them get in the way of the gospel. And I wonder what would happen if all the Jesus people, myself included, would get as passionate about sharing the love of Jesus as we are about sharing our political thoughts and feelings. What a different world it would be. It might be quite a different world. Don't misunderstand me. These things are important. They are important. But they're not more important than people's souls. They should never get in the way of leading people to Jesus. Now, here's the hard truth. This is the difficult bit to swallow. It is getting in the way. In America, it's getting in the way. Because there is a whole generation of young people growing up who don't understand what Christianity and church is about. They just see it as a, as a group that has political goals. They don't see the spiritual implications of what we're trying to do. They just say, oh, those church people, they're the ones who are against this, 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 and this. I don't want us to be known more for what we're against than what we're for. And I'm afraid that has happened by and large. So that's where we draw the line. The overemphasis on anything that interferes with our ability to share the gospel is where I draw the line. Because the gospel is not a matter of opinion. The gospel is truth. The gospel is not preference. The gospel is life. The gospel is the story of how Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth as a human being, who lived a perfect, sinless life, Even though he never did anything wrong, he took our place. He took the punishment for our sins. And he died upon the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And we can be saved by grace through faith in him. We believe in Jesus. And our hearts can be made new. Our hearts can be made right. We can find hope and life and peace. And that is what we want for everybody. I unapologetically want every human being on this planet to find life and hope and peace and forgiveness in Jesus. And I don't want anything to get in the way of that. That's the heart of this message. The heart of the message is don't trip. Don't trip up over things that don't really matter, that are getting in the way of the things that matter most. If we're followers of Jesus, if we claim to follow Jesus, man, we got to remember that our life touches other lives. You can impact the spiritual journey of another person. So we, we can't be tripping over this other stuff, and we can't be tripping up people on their way to Jesus. Your life has the potential to show folks that God cares. See, don't you, 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 you don't know the story that someone else may have. You don't know the kind of day that that person has had. And how your kind gesture might just remind them that somebody cares. We had a lady show up in the parking lot before. Um, Just me and the kids and and Grace was here. And she shared with us, you know, her story, what she was going through. Her husband's in rough shape and got over COVID, then got hit by a truck. Man, what a hard, hard time. 
But we got to share with her, you know, some hope and some life and some peace. Man, that's what I want to do. I want to share hope and life and peace with people. And she gives God the glory for restoring her husband. And we continue to, to pray for him. His name is Eric. Pray for Eric if you think of him. The scriptures tell us that nobody lives to himself and nobody dies to himself. Our lives touch other lives. So the question is for you and for me, when our life brushes up against another life, what kind of influence are we having? Does encountering, does, does when, when a person interacts with you, do they come away with more reason to believe than they had before? I'm not saying you got to get them saved right then and there. I realize that's maybe not going to happen. But do they have more reason to believe God loves them than they did before? That's what I want us to think about as we go about our lives, as we go back to work, as we go to the places of business we frequent in this area, going back and finishing out the school year. When people interact with us, do they walk away with more reason to believe that God loves them and that their life has meaning? I just want us to pray now, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you will make us people who know how to treat others right. I pray that as we interact with our family members, with coworkers, with fellow students, with people in this community, that you'd give us the grace to be so patient and so kind and so loving and to show the love of Jesus to them. And I pray you'd even give us the opportunity to directly talk to them about how you love them and how Jesus came for them. Lord, we confess there's been some times where we haven't treated people right. I'm so sorry for that, Lord, and I want it to be different in my life. Lord, I pray that you'll lead us as a church to set an example of influencing people the right way. And I pray you will bring to us people who need that reminder that you love them and Jesus loves them. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I, I pray for the families that we have mentioned. I pray for the Williams family as they're grieving. I pray for the folks who have family members in the hospital. I pray you'll raise them up. I pray for my wife who's having surgery on Tuesday that it would go as well as it can and her recovery time would be short and you'd restore to us quickly. God, we give you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you guys are a part of what we are doing. Um, next week, you're going to hear Billy Honeycutt speak, who's an awesome guy. You, you guys will, will love Billy. Be praying for my family. I won't be here. I may still be at the hospital with my wife. It looks like it's going to be the most of the week that They'll have her in there in recovery. So keep praying for her. That's Katie. Um, we're going to send you off with a little traveling music. Let people know that we're doing this. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>